You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. So I'm going to take a little departure uh, for the next couple of weeks away from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount in a few weeks. Uh, but in three weeks, or a little less than three weeks, we are going to be having the mental health seminar called Enlighten. And so Enlighten is about helping people who are going through mental health difficulties or even serious mental illnesses. And I thought that it would be important for me to share with our congregation sort of the backbone of this in God's Word and how God's Word gives us the encouragement that not just caring for people with mental illness, but caring for all people is so important. And so we are going to be looking at a psalm today, and we're going to be looking at what pain does inside of a person. How deep pain can cause us to have doubts, but how God speaks into that pain and the things that we can do in those times that we are really hurting to still seek God. And that's what we're going to see later in Psalm 77. And then next week, I'm going to talk about comfort. And how does God give us comfort? And how does God give comfort to other people through us? How can we be people who represent Jesus' love and hope and healing? And that'll be next week. But today we're going to look at Psalm 77. And there are 150 Psalms. So Psalms is the biggest book of the Bible. And out of the 150 Psalms, 64 of them are called laments. Lament. And lament means a passionate expression of grief or pain or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or pain of sorrow. And it can also mean to mourn. Like if you're mourning someone's passing or you're mourning losing something very important to you. So that's what a lament is. And so 64 of them in the Bible, in the, New, in the Psalms, means that 43% of the Psalms are these types that deal with complaints and hurts, with sadness and disappointment. And we live in a world that has those same struggles. We live in a world of complaints, of pain, of sadness and disappointment. And one of the results of this type of pain is called depression. And in the world, depression is a very debilitating and common disorder. It's a common mental problem. The World Health Organization says that there are over 300 million people in the world right now who suffer from depression. And they say that depression is the leading cause of disability in the world. And it leads to other diseases. And it creates a burden on society because of that. And that's worldwide. But even in our own United States, the National Institute of Mental Health, in a recent survey, found that there are over 17 million adults in the United States who suffer from serious depression. That would be 7.1% of all adults in the United States. But in that population of the 17 million people, 13% are almost twice the number of people that are the adults. 7.1% of all adults have a, a serious issue with depression, but 13.1% of youth 
between the ages of 18 and 25 struggle with depression. And so this is a very serious issue. And we have experienced it maybe in different forms from a mild depression to a serious one. But it's good to know that in the Bible there are people who understand what it's like to be extremely sad, to experience what it's like to feel bitterness of the soul, to experience what it's like to feel like things are hopeless. Uh, maybe we're, we're very familiar with Jonah. And in Jonah we see when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. In Lamentations, it says, I, and that's I, Jeremiah, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. In 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4, we read about Elijah, the great prophet. And it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And there are other examples in Scripture of God's people experiencing life that is so difficult that they complain to God. They are going through sadness. They are going through what we might call depression. And this is something that we see here in Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is written by a man named Asaph. Asaph writes 12 different psalms in the, in the psalms. And he writes um, number 73, through number 83 and also 50. And in them, he's raw, he's honest, he's human, he laments, he thinks, he prays, he contemplates, but most importantly, he continues to believe. He continues to believe in God, and yet he is honest about his sadness. And I want us to read together Psalm 77 in unison. And so I'll have it up here on the screen, and we'll be able to read it together. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? There are 20 verses, so that you know. But let's read them together and try to pay attention to the feeling behind these words. Let's begin. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. Selah. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Selah. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. 
the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Amen. Please be seated. And so as we've read this psalm, one of the things that we can see is that in his difficulty, Asaph expressed his doubts. He expressed his fears He feared that God had cast off his people and that God had even cast off him. He feared that there was no hope for restoration. And he even doubted the very attributes of God. And those attributes had been such a sure refuge for his people, for the Israelites, and for himself. But at that time, he felt like they were not being manifested. They could not be seen. This was a struggle that he was going through. And this is not just Asaph's struggle. This is at times our struggle as well. We go through difficult times and we wonder if God is there. I've gone through that many times. Where God was so present to me and life felt so good. And then life suddenly turned around and got very dark and difficult. And I wonder, did I sin? Did God do something? You know, did I do something to incur God's wrath? And yet, throughout this whole psalm, sin is never even mentioned. There are times in our lives where we simply go through difficulty and we don't always know why. There are tragedies that happen and life is difficult. And so what we might say is that Asaph was asking a question that we all ask at different times in our life. Why does God let things go as long and as tragically as they do without giving any signs of his interest and concern? Those are questions that we might ask ourselves. But there's also another question that we as believers should ask ourselves. And even though we can have that question and we will struggle through it, we're going to see Asaph struggle through it in just a moment, but we can also ask this question, Lord, what can I do in such times? What can we do in such times? Well, as we go through this psalm, I'm going to do um, things a little different than I normally do. Instead of just sort of um, telling stories all about it, I'm going to stop at different words and we're going to look at the meaning of the different words, because this is poetry. Psalms are poetry. They're songs. And we said this was Israel's songbook. This was their hymn book. And so they use many very vivid and colorful words, and it's important and helpful for us to see how these words impact not just our lives, but what they meant to the psalmist, what they meant to the psalm writer. 
And so the first thing that we're going to see that Asaph teaches us, that when we're going through difficult times, the first thing we can do is just pray honestly about our pain. Just go ahead and tell God what you're feeling. Now, the first thing that Asaph says is, he says, I cried. I cried out to God for help. And this word cried means to shriek. It means to proclaim. And it also means to call people together. And so to do that, if you were to call people together, you would need a loud voice. And so Asaph is crying out to God aloud. He's expressing his pain to God with volume. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me. And then he says in verse 2, when I was in distress, and this means deep affliction, this hurt, this was real. And he says, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul my soul. And this is a big word in the Old Testament and the New. And it means breathing. It's a word that means basically to possess life. Sometimes it's used of animals, but often it's used of people. And when it's used of people, it deals with their physical appetites. It can deal with their emotions. And it also addresses their will and their moral choices. And so his soul the being that he was, it refused to be comforted. And this word comforted means it consoled or to have pity. He didn't even have the strength to have pity on himself. He didn't find any consolation because God had not yet answered his prayers. And he sought God, and God wasn't being there for him. And so his soul was in distress and so it's not, it's a word that we use, but we may not fully understand. Um, so in the Bible, um, so is expressed as what we talked about, breathing. But it's more than that. It talks about the very self that we are. It's about everything that we are creates the person that is our soul. Dr. Uh, J.P. Moreland, who was a professor of philosophy at Biola University, he's a well-known theologian and apologist, um, he's written a, a book recently called Finding Quiet, and I've read that book, and it's, it's wonderful. And it talks about him. He himself has gone through serious depression and anxiety. And he, he talks about how the soul is affected by our moods and by our emotions. And he wants us to understand the soul, and so he defines it this way. Put very simply, the soul is an immaterial substance or thing that contains consciousness and animates or enlivens the body. It consists of sensations like pain or the taste of a lemon. It's our thoughts, beliefs, desires, memories, and acts of free choice. And so when we see that Asaph is expressing all of these things to God, he's saying his whole soul is reaching out to God for help, but it's not getting any help. Have you ever been there where you felt like, God, where are you? What happened? What's going on? And when I did that, well, first you first they think, well, maybe I did something wrong, so I need to think back. Or maybe something happened and that I have to really understand to try to fix it. And so Asaph does the same thing. And in verse 3, he says, I remembered. And the word remembered means to record or to recount. 
And so he goes back into his memory, and he says, I remembered you, O God, and then I groaned. So even just the thought of God right now even caused him more pain. And this word groaned is, is a very colorful word. It means commotion or war. You ever have a war inside of yourself? A war because you're wondering, why am I so down? Why aren't things better? Why doesn't God help me? You, you waver between faith and doubt. And you want faith. You want God to speak. You know you're sincerely seeking Him. And this is what was going on for Asaph. And so he says, then I, I mused. And this word mused means he talked to himself. And he said, and then, after all that, my spirit, so not just his body, but his spirit grew faint. And this word faint means it's like a shroud, something you cover somebody with, and it creates a darkness and it's a feeling of being overwhelmed. And so this is Asaph's struggle. He's saying, I am feeling so down. I am feeling fatigued. I am feeling depressed. And even when I think of God, it hurts. And then he says, Selah. Now we said it three times. Selah is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, Selah. So it's very similar, right? Because it's, it's not translated, it's a transliteration. And so it's the same word that the Hebrews would say. And the word selah means to pause. And to pause is very important. To pause gives us a time to think. And we pause for different reasons. We might pause because we're exhausted. We might pause because we're exasperated. We might pause because of great pain. Or we might pause for positive reasons, like we see a beautiful sunset. We might pause in wonder or awe. We might pause to pray. But here, Esau paused to think. And what did he think of? He thought of questions that he wanted to ask God. He had questions about his pain. So not only did he express it honestly, but he expressed hard questions to God. So this is the second thing that we can do. We can go ahead and ask our questions to God. So in verse 4, Asa says, God, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. And this word troubled means to To tap or to beat regularly. Have you ever been in the library and you're trying to study and somebody next to you is going? It's agitating, isn't it? Well, that's what happened there for Asaph. He's groaned, he's agitated. And somehow I turned off. There we go. He's agitating myself. So he's, he's groaned and he's agitated. Wow, I went way to the end. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I did. Okay, there we are. Hard questions. Okay. So he's, he's agitated. He's too troubled to speak. And then he says, I thought... I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. He thought about the good old days. 
Haven't we done that? God, I remember just, wasn't that long ago that things were good? And then he says, I remembered the songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. And those aren't just a song. Those were his songs. So this, he's talking about his life. He remembers my songs in the night. And then he says, I, my spirit inquired. And this means it made a diligent search. He is really looking. He is introspecting. He spoke to his mind. He wanted to know, mind, what have we thought about? What's been happening? He spoke to his heart. He spoke to his spirit while he's searching. God, what is going on? And he doesn't know the answer. And so he begins to ask his questions to God. And so we see that Asaph asked six questions in succession right away. And I think these, again, are just great questions that we can ask of God and maybe that we also have already asked of God. And the first one is in verse 7 where he says, Will the Lord reject forever? And this word reject means to cast away or to forsake. Has God forsaken me? And not just for a time, but for forever? The second question he asks is, God, will you never show your favor to me again? Will you never be good to me? Am I stuck here forever and ever because you have forsaken me? He is going down a path of pain, and he's expressing that pain to God. His third question is, God, has your unfailing love vanished forever? This word love or unfailing love is a, is a beautiful Hebrew word, and it's, it's hesed or shesed. And it means loving kindness. And it's used of God over and over again. It's translated as mercy and it's also translated as goodness. And we see it in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And, and the picture here in Exodus is that Moses has received the Ten Commandments. He's holding the Ten Commandments. And now God speaks to him about himself. God speaks to Moses about God. And God says of himself, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness, and that word goodness is hesed, or unfailing love, and truth, keeping mercy. And again, that's the same word, hesed. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And this is God's self-proclamation of who he is. And this was the foundation upon which the Israelites depended upon God and had the promise that God would be with them, that he would be their God, and, and that they would be his people. And now Asaph is wondering, has this unfailing love, even that, vanished? And the word vanished can literally be just translated clean gone or made invisible. God, has it, is it gone forever? So he asks these three questions, then he, and then he goes on to the, the fourth one. And he says, has his promise failed? Or failed means to come to an end. Has it failed for our time? His fifth question, has God forgotten? And the word forgotten means oblivious. Like, does God even pay attention? Has God forgotten to be merciful? And then number six. Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? 
And that's very common for us to think that if we're going through a hard time, maybe God's just angry at us. And this is what Esau felt. And this word anger, it means breathing really, really hard or rapidly like you do when you are enraged. And so he's saying, God, are you just so mad at me like that? That you would withhold your compassion? And then on the other spectrum, it's such beautiful poetic language. He uses the word compassion. And this speaks of a baby in the womb, a fetus. And so he's going like, God, are you so angry at me and no longer going to treat me like you once did? Like your child, like one you would protect in the womb? So these are his hard questions. And God says, you know, it's okay. Ask me these hard questions. And so once again, Asaf says, Selah. And he pauses. And we pause. In the most difficult of times. And we have to battle the questions that need an answer. And so Asaph is doing this. And he's going to tell us in, in, Psalm 10, in verse 10 how he starts to come out from this moment. But for us, we can just pause and go, you know what? This man probably understands what I'm going through. Carol and I started in Lighten because of the pain that we've gone through with mental illness. We've gone through it in so many different ways, and it, it's hurt us, and it's, it at times has hurt our marriage. But when we wanted to find help out here to be part of a support group, we couldn't find a Christian support group out here. And so we thought, well, let's find a Christian support group, or let's start a Christian support group so that other people could join us. And our great passion was that we, in our understanding, would be able to share that with other people because we know what they're going through. Depression can come from many different reasons. It can come from a traumatic event. It can come from a genetic or biological predisposition. And it can also come from a physical problem. And that's why many depressions are treatable through medication and through counseling. They are treatable because they are physical, emotional, mental problems. Christians go through depression. One of the most famous preachers of all time is Charles Spurgeon. And he is famously known, not just for his sermons, but for also being a person who struggled deeply with depression. And he was famous in the day that he was um, ministering in England. And so he was also a teacher of students who were going in the ministry. And he wrote a book called Lectures to My Students. And in this book, he talks about depression. And he talks about it in this way. He says, causeless depression. In other words, the depression that you don't know where it's coming from. And at first, when you're depressed, you don't know where it's coming from. Causeless depression is not to be reasoned with nor can David's harp charm it away by sweet discoursings. And what he's talking about here, I believe, is that when King Saul was all upset and he was sort of mad, he would have David play his harp for him, and it would soothe his spirit, and it would calm him. 
And so what I think Charles Spurgeon is saying here is that even the sounds of music, even the sounds of what would be calming, they don't take, they don't take depression away. And even the greatest words, sweet discoursings, there aren't words that can help us in the diff- most difficult of times. And then Spurgeon goes on and says, you might as well fight with the mist as with this shapeless, undefinable, yet all-beclouding hopelessness. One affords himself no pity when in this case, because it seems so unreasonable and even sinful to be troubled without manifest cause, and yet troubled the man is, even in the very depth of his spirit. And what he says is that there are times where you feel so bad and you go, you know, I even know it's not even reasonable to feel this bad. And yet, because I feel this bad and because I can't find a reason, I wonder, is it because of sin? I wonder if it's that sin has caused me to have this trouble. And then other people oftentimes say, maybe you've sinned. And apparently, that's what Spurgeon also experienced from people. And he says that even sinful to be troubled without manifest cause is what other people thought, that his troubles were caused because of sin. And he says that his retort to that is that yet the troubled man, even in the depths of his spirit, would just say to those who laugh at him for having such feelings, if you could but one hour feel what I've gone through, then your laughter would be turned to compassion. If you could experience the pain of what other people are going through, then your judgment would cease and your compassion would rise. And this is what G.H. Spurgeon went through, and other Christians have gone through it as well, in difficult times, in dark times. And God has brought comfort to them eventually, but they had to go through it. And and go through it, C.H. Spurgeon did. And he continued to serve, and he continued to work, and as he was become known as the prince of preachers, as he continued to bring people to the Lord, Asaph also continued. And so we see this. He tells us how he continued, and what he did is he dwelt on holy God. He wouldn't give up. And he went even deeper than just thinking about the old days. He went beyond his own life. And he thought about all of God's great works. And so in verse 10, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. And Most High is is the Hebrew word Elion. And it means exalted one. And so he knows that God is the only God. He knows that God is the highest. He knows that God is greatly exalted. And then he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate. And this word meditate means to ponder or to study. To ponder. Like, like, it's like when a lion chews on their prey and he continues to chew on it. It's to meditate. And to chew, or how a cow chews on their cud. And they continue to chew into that word to meditate. And so he does this. He chews on God's word, on the promises that he remembers, and on all of God's works. And he considers. And this word consider, it doesn't mean just to think, it also means to speak. 
And so he begins to talk about God's blessings. He begins to remember the deeds of God, and he talks about them, and he talks about God's mighty deeds, his mighty strength. And then in verse 13, he goes on, and he says, Your ways, O God, are holy. And this word holy means to be in a sanctuary that is sacred. And he's saying, God, your ways are sacred. Your ways are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power. This word power means majesty, and it also means praise. You, destroy, you destroyed the enemy. You, stro- you showed your power. You expressed it in verse 15 with your mighty arm. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And again, so he pauses with Selah. He pauses. And he's thinking about God. And he's thinking about who God is. And so he begins to work deeper and deeper into the history of God's word and God's works. And he's going to end up having a resolve. And he's going to end up having this resolve to let God hold him in the midst of his pain. But before that happens, in verse 16, it says, The water saw you, O God. The water saw you and writhed. The word writhed means the waters were afraid. The very depths were convulsed. And the word convulsed means to quiver with fear. And the psalmist is using such beautiful language. If you look back in Exodus chapter 14 of the story that he's talking about, he's talking about the people of Israel and Moses leading them through the Red Sea and how God separated the waters. But if you go back to Exodus 14, you'll see that God doesn't, in there, God doesn't talk about these things. He doesn't talk about the writhing of the water or the convulsing of the depths. But the psalmist does. Because he's personifying it. He's bringing it into his life. He's understanding. And he's bringing it into a picturesque way that he can be able to hold on to something with God. And then he says in verse 17, The clouds poured down their water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. And arrows is another word for lightning. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Verse 18, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled. And that's the same word as convulsed. And it quaked. And again, this word is another synonym for to be made afraid. And this is how he describes the atmosphere that was going on as God was separating the waters, as the Israelites were walking through dry ground, and then later as God closed the waters on the enemy. On Pharaoh's troops, your path led through the sea, verse 19. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You couldn't see God's footprints, but you could see his power. You couldn't see God, but you could see what he could do. And this is what Asaph was thinking about at that moment. He was thinking about what God can do because of what God had done. And so he says then in verse 20, you led or you guided your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
And the word hand indicates power. And so what he's saying is that the people of Israel were guided by God's hand through Aaron and through Moses. And so this is his conclusion after 20 verses, is that God's hand is being outstretched to me. And I can hold on to him as he reaches down to hold on to me. Notice that the problem that Asaph had, his problem wasn't resolved, but Asaph was resolved. He was resolved to continue to hold on to God. He was continued to believe in the God of miracles. He was resolved to continue to look back to what Moses had done, and that's what all the Israelites would have done as they sang that hymn during those days before the New Testament. They would have looked back on what the great miracles that God has done, but we now, we, as we live in the New Testament times, we can also be resolved, but we have something better to look back to. We can look back to what Jesus has done for us. We can look back and look at Jesus as our help and our salvation. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 and 4, it says, He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And this was spoken of, of Jesus. He carried our griefs. He carried our sorrows. The Bible tells us this is why Jesus became a man, that he would know what we went through, what we go through. In Matthew chapter 26, we see what Jesus went through right before the cross. And there it says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus was sorrowful, and Jesus was troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was experiencing excruciating pain. The writer of Hebrews helps us even further to understand what Jesus went through. And it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And Jesus suffered for you and for me. And this is where we turn back. And this is where we turn our eyes on God. We look back. We are resolved that whatever I'm going through, I will continue to look to Jesus as my help and my salvation because he overcame death. He overcame sin. And he rose from that. He overcame sorrow and suffering. And he offers us the hope of heaven. The writer, John, Jesus' beloved friend, said this in John 3, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so the psalmist looked up to Moses, but we look up to the Son of Man who was lifted up onto that cross 
and who overcame death and offers to us eternal life. I think most of you probably know what the next verse is, right? John 3, 16, right? A very famous verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But right before that, we see that we must look up to the Son of Man. We must look up to Jesus who suffered on the cross for us and in so doing, place our faith in him to follow him all the days of our life, to surrender my life to him for salvation, or as John says, for eternal life. And if you've never done that, this is what God is inviting you to do even now, to invite Jesus to receive the Lord for all that he has done for you into your own life. He loves us, and he knows what we're going through. And even though our problems may not all be resolved, we can be resolved to hold on to God. We can be resolved to look up to God, to know that Jesus cares for us and loves us so much that he suffered on the cross for you and for me. Let us pray.